Welcome to the Honest Postnatal Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Dow, a postnatal exercise specialist and a mum of two. This is a space where we talk about postnatal recovery and how it feels emotionally and physically. This can be a challenging time for any mum, but I'm here to give you hope whilst keeping it honest. So wherever you are, take a deep breath, settle in, let's get started. So today we have Emily as our guest. Emily is a pelvic health nurse, a mum of two and a strength and empowerment coach focusing on the menopause, cancer and the pelvic floor. And we're going to do a deep dive into Emily's postnatal recovery and talk about her work as a pelvic health nurse. So Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me on. And I know you're on holiday at Centre Park, so this is... (laughs) really appreciate your time so much um thank you for doing this and we will keep it you know within the allotted time before your family are back from from their waffle breakfast which sounds delicious yeah (laughs) I missed out but it's okay (laughs) so Emily where shall we start I know we connected on Instagram um and you've had two different postnatal experiences now haven't you yeah um, so should we start maybe with your first? Like, where do you feel comfortable starting with? Yeah, so um, so my son is now seven. So this he's nearly eight, actually. So and he was born at 26 weeks, um, which was obviously, yeah, a bit of a shock. Um, you know, prior to that, you know, I was considered yeah a normal pregnancy. Um, and he just, yeah, came <laughs> very early. Very early. And did you have any warning signs? Was like, how was the actual pregnancy going? Did you? Yeah, it- pregnant. Yeah, pregnancy was fine. Um, and then one day I just, I ran to the bus for work. So I was working as a nurse um, in an oncology unit. Um, and I just, and then when I got to the changing rooms at work, I had a bit of blood in um, my underwear. Um, and I just thought, oh, I've just overdone it, you know, sort of running, being late for work sort of thing. Uh, but all of my colleagues were like, Emily, you should go and get checked. And I was like, no, no, no we've got a busy day today, you know. <laughs> um, so I didn't, um, I didn't go initially. And then everyone was like, no, Emily, you should go and get it checked. So I went and cutting a long story short, um, my membranes were bulging. I dilated by a couple of centimetres um, and had a couple of days in hospital um, sort of trying to see if we could get um, my son to go back where he's supposed to be. Um, and I had an emergency suture or what they call it, like a circlage um, a couple of days later, which was really positive. We were like, oh, brilliant. And I was discharged, but unfortunately, um, I got an infection um, of the amniotic sac um, and he was delivered via an emergency C-section um, because of I was developing potentially sepsis. So um, I wasn't feeling very great. Um, and yeah, he was delivered via C-section, um, weighing £2.1 at 26 weeks. Yeah, That is so much. And I think the first thing that I picked up actually from that was that you were a nurse and even, you know, having medical training, you were prepared to just think, oh, it's a bit of blood, you know, let's just get on with it, carry on with the day. And I just find that fascinating that mm. medical professionals, like when this, when these kind of things happen to ourselves, it's so easy to just push them away, isn't it? And I, I think because you are just 
blind I think with your first baby you are just kind of wrapped sort of scooped up in this kind of positive this amazing thing is going to happen and actually you just don't realize what can happen in pregnancy just I was completely blind to it and you know and then I'm sort of whisked away beyond these doors that no one knows about it's almost like this sort of I don't know um place that no one goes to if that makes sense um and you know I was having to watch my baby in an incubator in NICU um you know with lots of tubes lots of wires um but even then I was just like I think you are just sort of like a rabbit in the headlights um and we just took one day at a time um you know everyone said I cope with it really well um and yeah it was it was looking back it was scary but at the time it didn't feel as scary does that make sense it makes complete sense <laughs> Ethan in NICU as well so I do understand that and I think you know in the in the time you kind of have no other choice because I think people say yeah. that cope so well but you you have no other choice but to cope um and I think probably the adrenaline as well and everything and the hormones just from the birth everything kind of keeps you going doesn't it Mm -hmm. but it's not by any means I think what especially when you you know you've obviously had a preterm baby as well so you weren't expecting to give birth at 26 weeks you probably weren't expecting an emergency c-section and then I think none of us expect a stay in NICU as well so you had a whammy of a lot of a lot of shock that you then just had to cope with I mean how did it how did it feel going straight into NICU and what was your kind of postnatal experience in NICU were you able to stay you know what was the hospital like in terms of that yeah the hospital were great so they let me stay on the kind of maternal unit um just next to NICU and I could go and visit him whenever I wanted to um obviously in those early days after my c-section I was quite sore um and you know needed help to get down there um which looking back you know I needed like a wheelchair um and obviously when we talked about my next um postnatal journey is completely different but they um yeah we just went and seen him um and I must admit the first couple of days I felt utter grief for not being pregnant anymore I felt really angry um and I wasn't really focusing on him I was just really uh, really stuck in my own head about what I'd lost really and was quite upset about that but then I soon kind of came out of that once you know he started making crying noises and and then my focus sort of switched to his well-being um you know and I think when I reflect back on it particularly a few months after we left Nikki, I was quite angry with myself a little bit for being, I felt selfish for like putting, um, you know, for sort of thinking about what I'd lost and actually my son's there in an incubator fighting for his life. So I had a lot of those emotions afterwards, but, you know, it did take us a couple of, uh, probably a good four, three, four days for us to start to really bond with him um, because they are just so, you know, behind you know glass essentially um and so it was really hard to kind of my maternal instincts to kind of kick in but I think that's so common and normal with like when you have a NICU baby because 
again, I think we're all led to believe that we're going to have, you know, they talk about the golden hour, like holding mm. your baby. For those of us with NICU babies, you know, you often don't even get a second, you know, so they go straight to NICU, they're rushed off you. And you're right, they are behind glass and you, that maternal instinct to pick them up, you can't. So, mm. you know, it, that was quite heartbreaking listening to you saying about how, you know, you beat yourself up for feeling like that. But I think that's completely understandable as well. Like to give birth at 26 weeks is super. Mm. You weren't expecting it. So, oh, uh, and then you're in NICU, which is just a whole nother world, isn't it? You know, mm. you had so much to deal with. I think, you know, that made me really sad, like listening to you say that, because I think you can't beat yourself up. I think you were doing the absolute best with what happened to you and dealing with the trauma um and and you can't pick them up and it's it's petrifying to see them in NICU and with the tubes and the beeping and mm. I think that can be so hard um because you want to do what you think you're going to be able to do you know to pick them up and to cuddle them and to feed them and when you can't that's such a hard emotion to to deal with um but I really respect your like your openness for telling us that thank you yeah at 26 weeks like how long were you in NICU then how long did you stay well we I did count the days so it was 73 days (laughs) um so but which was great because Austin did actually you know he did do really well considering um you know for the first few weeks you know he came off his um uh, you know, he's gone from being intubated to CPAP to high flow quite quickly. And, you know, I could see the nurses sort of um, going like, hold your horses, Emily, like, don't get too um, uh, comfortable. You know, your NICU journey can go up and down. Um, and I was like, well, he's doing really well now. So, you know, this isn't going to apply to us. And then boom, four weeks, he gets a gut infection, which is very common in premature babies. And my whole world went upside down. He was so ill. Um, and I genuinely thought I was going to lose him. Um, and that's when all the tears, all the yeah struggles really came. And but he did, you know, luckily I'd caught it really early. And I think my nursing um and fate, you know, allowed me to catch it early. And um, he did recover quite well after that without needing surgery. And then it was then, you know, quite a quick progression then coming home. Um, And, you know, he did come home on oxygen, um, but we, yeah, just managed. It was just our normal, if that makes sense. Like I had nothing to compare it to. So we just sort of took it in our stride and, um, yeah, we took um, took him home, and yeah, that was a relief. It must have been a big relief, and I think you're right. Like first baby, you don't have anything to compare it to, so maybe it makes it a tiny bit easier. I think if you'd had like a NICU experience second time, yeah. I think. But I'm still not. You know, it's it's still by no means easy at all. And how did you find? your recovery because I think again you know when you've got a child in NICU it can be very much focused on the child but you know you were recovering from a c-section and an emergency c-section as well so how did you find your recovery with the child in NICU? I I think physically I I don't really remember if I'm honest like I I don't I didn't do much I was so sedentary being sat in NICU 
you know, I did loads of skin to skin with him. So he was literally on my chest for hours and on end, which again was really important for him. But for me, I was surviving on Costa, <laughs> you know, all day. I'd just be there. And then I and then the nurses would be like, right, Emily, you need to go and pump and you need to go and have some lunch and have something to eat and and drink. And oh, I just I really just did not focus on myself at all. And I would go home in the evenings, have some tea and then I would be back in again. Um, you know, I did get sleep. I think, you know, a lot of mums when they have, um, you know, when they're sort of discharged quite soon after their baby's born, you know, the sleep deprivation can massively impact their recovery. But I was sleeping quite well, generally, um, you know, because I wasn't at home with a baby um, for those first few months. Um, so it did mean that I was, you know, able to be there for him. Um, but I would say I didn't really look after anything else about myself, really. Um, during that time and I think yeah definitely being sedentary for all that time did probably impact um, my c-section and how it then developed into kind of I suppose like urinary issues that I had in between my two pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Do you think then that was because so yes yeah, so you were sat down a lot of the times and I think like scar massage you know worked front of your mind at all it was you know looking after your baby and and you know getting yourself back and forwards to NICU um and I suppose any exercise you know any kind of gentle rehab was just out of the window I presume until you maybe got home no I didn't honestly even though I am I am trained now at back then you know I I was um you know I was an oncology nurse I didn't yeah exercise I went to classes but I didn't really you know I used to cycle to work but that wasn't part of what I thought was what I needed does that make sense at that point in my in my life um it just wasn't on my radar at all I was just uh, focusing on him getting home and nothing else um and even when he came home it was just getting used to um you know oxygen monitoring him um you know, feeding him and all the kind of issues that come with that as well. You know, we did establish breastfeeding, um, which I was really proud of. Um, And, but again, you're doing that for months and months and months. And it was only probably until I got to about, you know, um, after he, um, after he had surgery at eight months, he needed some heart surgery. Um, I say that like, oh, he needed some heart surgery. Um, but I think after that, when I I, I probably hit rock bottom in terms of my reco- my mental health, because I genuinely thought, oh my god, if we've survived Niku, this is what's going to take him. And I was just really low after that. Um, and even after he'd come back from hospital, and it was literally a day case procedure. It wasn't open heart surgery or anything like that. And I'm not trying to minimise that experience because that was still very much a big thing for us as a family to go through um but I realized after that point that I really needed to start looking after myself um and to start you know um moving and doing something so I decided that I was going to go you know to pick up running and I bought a running buggy and we did some charity work for that um but I think that for me was just trying to get some sense of control, some purpose back in my life. You know, I think as mums, we go through a massive shift in our 
identity and for me at that point I think you know with him going in for surgery as well I was just I saw life completely differently I was like life is so fragile and I was like right I'm going to make the most of it and I want to make the most of my maternity leave before I go back to work um, and so we actually did something very positive by raising some money for Nikki um, you know we dressed him up as a superhero every week and we ran 5k every day for 74 days for the amount of time he was in NICU and I remember on his first birthday we had nurses from the NICU come and celebrate with us and we had other parents that were there um, it was yeah amazing um, but equally it came off the back of me being at probably the lowest point for me was that kind of eight months after he was born I mean that's incredible that you did all of that like I'm just trying to I'm just replaying all of that in my head I mean I I think you were obviously just surviving you know you were kind Mm -hmm. of in in the trauma you've got him home then you're surviving that experience of being a new mum because I think once you've had a child in NICU it's almost like a two stages of being a mum isn't it you've got your being a mum in NICU and then you come home with them and you've got to learn how to be a mum again without the nurses and the machines and being in hospital but I think then to then add the surgery on top of that um but to come out the other side and do I didn't even know about the run-in and I mean the charity where that's incredible um you should be so proud of yourself for for organizing it for doing it and and how did you even get back to running you know that was that was one of the questions you were talking about like like what did you even start doing exercise wise (laughs) well knowing what I know now I did it all terribly um you know but I just started slow like my first my well I did go just straight into doing I think probably a couple of um a bit like couch to 5k now um that wasn't around then but um oh I don't think it was but yeah I just started just doing run you know and then walking and running um and I think my first 5k was like in the in the 40 minute um uh category um you know and then just as time went on I just kept you know getting fitter and fitter um I did get very tight muscles um because yeah probably because there was lots of other issues going on in terms of like my pelvis and my calf muscles were so tight and luckily one of the nurses um in Nikki was doing sports massage she, she did some sports massage on me and used me as a, a guinea pig blesser um to help with her training as well which massively helped um to kind of release my calf muscles a bit um but you know I wasn't doing I was doing it with a buggy um and I did have a proper running buggy I didn't do it with a regular one and that helped as well um but you know and I was nine nine months postpartum so you know I had recovered a bit you know from my surgery um so yeah and in that time did you see a women's health physio at all like to address you know scar issues and I know you've spoken about um having an adhesion as well I think you had didn't you as well didn't you yeah well I didn't even know they existed then (laughs) so you know it's it's definitely been a journey since having my son and, you know, changing my career. Um, you know, it was only probably about around a lockdown, really, that I started to use exercise and trained as a personal trainer. 
um, and that I yeah that I started to um, to exercise and use that knowledge and apply it and then I got some opportunities to work in pelvic health women's health and then I worked for like the bladder and bowel service um, and so a lot of my knowledge is very recent if I'm honest um, and and yeah so I did not even know pelvic health physics existed then and it wasn't suggested to me at all yeah okay I think which is I think which is still the case now isn't it even if you have a c-section I don't think it's on the NHS you don't get to see a women's physio do you I think that's not part no not 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 routinely no because you know as we'll go, probably go on to you know with my second child um you know I had a planned c-section because obviously the type of c-section I had first time I was what we, they call a classical c-section um so I'm more at risk of having um an abruption um with going into um spontaneous labor with um future, future pregnancies so I had a planned c-section um and I remember you know the nurse uh, sorry the consultant saying like oh we're going to be a little while because you've got quite a lot of adhesions um, that are attached to your bladder and my bladder was essentially being dragged up by my uterus she said you're basically peeing up hill and I was like that makes a lot of sense because I had quite a lot of retention issues um they were they were um I wouldn't say they were severe but I I knew that that was possibly um the reason why and it wasn't until I was pregnant with my daughter that I started doing scar therapy and things like that so all of this knowledge is you know quite quite recent really so I have been applying it for this recovery but my first pregnancy I had not a clue so you were having those issues with you know and I'm going to use the consultant's words but kind of almost weeing uphill and you were living with that and just kind of thinking this is you know this is fine I can just deal with it and it wasn't until you were in the second c-section that someone kind of put a medical term to it is that yeah yeah um yeah she sort of confirmed my ideas but you know none of us have x-ray vision um you know and I even with the um when I did pelvic health training you know we do we do um we practice on each other essentially so when we do internal um, pelvic floor examinations we actually do that within the training on each other um so we get to experience what it feels like to have those um you know the um internal examination of our pelvic floor muscles um and i had 10 out of 10 strong pelvic floor muscles um but yet when i go to the toilet i still have um you know I might stand up and a lot of women might get like a dribble, um, which is quite indicative of, um, you know, retaining a bit of urine um, for whatever reason. It might be because there's prolapse there that's sort of affecting how you enter your bladder um, or it can be scarring, um, holding your um, your bladder or these surrounding organs, um, which kind of prevent the flow of urine or at least you emptying your bladder completely. And so would you say that potentially having that emergency C-section and the birth and the recovery, is that what led you into the career change or was the career change coming anyway? I was, yeah, it was coming anyway. It was just more circumstantial um, people that I'd met. Um, but I do feel like the universe works in wonderful ways because, um, you know, people have always said to me, you know, oh, 
you know, you've had your second child now, um, you know, do you regret not trying sooner? Because we were really, we struggled with the fact that, you know, I could have, um, you know, the, the doctor sort of said, oh, you've got an incompetent cervix, which um, is really horrible messaging to send to women, um, you know, and even my obstetrician at the time said you know obviously a man came up with that term um <laughs> which we both laughed about but actually I think it was a massive on reflection a catalyst really for me thinking that my body was broken um and why I didn't then try to have any more children um and you know and I, me and my husband made that choice um but due to like hormonal issues that I was having and my mental health I decided to come off any kind of contraception to see if that was affecting, you know, was affecting my mental health at the time. Um, And we were irresponsible and we got pregnant (laughs) the second time. But actually, looking back, people have said, oh, do you regret not trying sooner? I'm like, absolutely not, because I've grown so much as a person in that seven years. I've changed careers. I've learned so much about women's health, about, you know, uh, sort of pregnancy, menopause, um, hormones, you know, I've learned a lot about myself in that time, um, done a lot of my own personal development um, in terms of, you know, where I'm at um, with my own mental health. And I felt actually quite ready. You know, I felt in a really good place to have my daughter. Um, so yes, it was a, mis- a mistake, but a, a welcome mistake. <laughs> um and I definitely made a conscious decision when I was pregnant. Yes, I panicked because, oh, my God, if this happens again. But I I just thought control the controllables because I, there's nothing I can do. I can only go by being monitored regularly by my consultant. I was consultant led, um, you know, and that was really reassuring. And I had lots of scans to make sure my cervix was not incompetent and it was not incompetent (laughs) and I think once I realized that actually my body is capable of having a baby I felt so much more confident um, in my pregnancy and I exercised throughout my pregnancy I went to pregnancy yoga I was strength training I was lifting barbells you know I think yeah I definitely did a lot of work on making sure that I kept my body strong it sounds like you really you really took control and kind of seized every opportunity you could um and you you speak quite a lot about your mental health so was it the exercise do you think that really helped your mental health or was there anything else that you did as well that helped your mental health kind of second time around um yeah exercise definitely is an outlet for me to um feel strong in my body to prove that my body is strong and capable Um, I would also say self-compassion practices have definitely been a major part of my mental, what I call mental fitness. Um, So I don't say, I think mental health is, and other people have spoken about this, you know, is kind of like a a destination. Whereas I feel like mental fitness is the things that you do on a daily basis, basis, sorry, to kind of keep your body and your mind um, well you know, because our our mental health fluctuates all the time. You know, we don't have control over what happens in our life. You know, um, things can literally crop up in a in a moment, you know, and I've had experience of that. But it's actually going, well, how can I make myself as resilient as possible for life's challenges? And I definitely find self-compassion practices really helpful um, because it 
takes away the blame and the shame on you as an individual um and is just so much more empowering um yeah i definitely think exercise and self-compassion are definitely very strong ways to keep your mental fitness i love that mental fitness i've actually not heard of that before but i can completely see where you're coming from now because yes mental health is i love that that's destination but it's the resilience that you need to build so that when you have something like a traumatic birth or a difficult you know nikki stay or anything you've got that resilience and you i suppose you've got the tools maybe like in your toolkit um the deal but when you're saying self-compassion can you explain a bit more what that means to you because i'm really is that like manifestations or or what are you doing to be compassionate to yourself um i think acceptance of the situation you know what's happened acceptance of you know like if we're applying it to like my my like my second pregnancy you know I was you know sort of focusing on the things that it could do well you know Mm -hmm. rather than focusing on potentially me having an incompetent cervix as such if that makes sense um you know and then looking for evidence of you know my body doing really well it's like oh my you know my my you know every time I go to a scan my cervix was still a good thickness and that just improved my confidence in that respect um and then you know sort of telling my body that I'm strong um and if I do get low days that it's okay to have um you know if I was feeling anxious you know I would then go okay well you know why am I feeling anxious it's okay to feel anxious and just let those feelings come and and pass if that makes sense and knowing that those feelings will pass um has definitely really helped me not to get wrapped up and catastrophize everything um and so yeah I think being self-compassionate is like I it's okay to feel to feel the low feelings or those negative feelings but then I know that they're going to pass and then I can then focus on um you know kind of getting through this pregnancy and just looking for things that tell me that um or the evidence I should say to the contrary to what I believed before about my body and its ability to be able to carry a baby Mm. it makes complete sense I yeah I was just I'm really interested in it um and I'm wondering did that play a part in your second postnatal journey I know obviously it was different it was a gentle c-section but thinking just about the baby blues that most of us you know with the hormone drop kind of um, experience in that postnatal period was that self-compassion I suppose that practice you'd put into place did that make this postnatal period such a different experience to the first yeah yeah definitely um you know I've I definitely felt more you know I was quite surprised at actually how um capable I felt you know, because this was such a completely different experience for me. I was discharged from hospital 24 hours after having a C-section, which is a little bit soon, I feel. But, um, you know, but at the same time, you know, I've had to use those self-compassion practices because I've, you know, being someone who was fit and able to do things and then suddenly having to really take it slow and steady, you know, you always want to try and get back to, being that person beforehand but actually I think it's it's really helped me to accept that my body has changed you know I've had a full-term pregnancy this time so my body has changed significantly you know I have stretch marks now you know my hips have changed 
um, you know, my ability to exercise was, you know, um, in, impeded essentially um, for quite a few months after my birth. Um, you know, dealing with, you know, having another like a seven year old and their emotions and then, you know, um, uh, just life in general, like moving house and, you know, everything can just like get on top of you, can't it? And I think for me, it's just it's really helped me to uh, take away the shame and the blame, um, not, you know, sometimes not showing up as the person you want to show up like in terms of like as a mum to my seven-year-old you know you're a bit snappy you're emotional you're um uh you know I hate to use the term but hormonal in the sense that you know when you cry it's like well okay I know that my hormones are all over the place at the moment and actually it's okay to cry it's an outlet for my body you know just things like that are just really helpful to I think take away the 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 guilt and shame that comes a lot of the time after you've had a baby and how you show up as a woman in the world afterwards you always feel like you need to bounce back mm-hmm. but I there's a lovely term and I can't remember which pelvic health physio said it um but um it might be the down there doc but she said something like um we don't bounce back we bounce forward um and and I think it is about accepting how your body is after you've had a baby and moving forward with that and yes you're not gonna I don't love my stretch marks but I accept them you know and I think this is the whole thing with self-love and you know loving stuff and it's like well yeah I don't I don't love my like stretch marks and the way my body's changed but I accept it and that then reduces my suffering as a you know as a as a byproduct of that yeah, I completely understand. And it's coming back to that mental fitness, isn't it? So it's finding the the acceptance, then the compassion, finding the positives as well. Um, and I suppose taking every day as it comes as well. Yeah. And, and I think I, it's just catching yourself because there are times when I, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm pinching, you know, parts of my body. And then I have to catch myself and, and go like, no, Emily, don't don't go down that road of like self loathing you know and that's what I probably would have done first time round but now I know what I know in all of the health coaching that I've done with within my business um you know I work with a lot of people that have had major body changes um and it's about just trying to reduce that level of suffering and we are our thoughts are very much part of um uh you know our level of suffering does that make sense yeah, it completely makes sense. Yeah. So as you were saying that about your work now as a pelvic health nurse, and then if you could, so in your position, you know, how would you explain to women that are going through a difficult postnatal period, what would your words of encouragement be or what would your um, advice be? So kind of using self-compassion, using that mental fitness and the work that you are now doing especially on Instagram as well what would you say to kind of new postnatal mums that may be having a difficult time I think that that time after you've had your baby it feels really long you know it's, there's a lot of who said isn't it where you know they say about the the days are long but the weeks are short um the time it, it does feel like it goes really slowly but it does go really quickly um and you don't need to rush back into being super fit or you know or to start losing weight or to try and you know bounce back and kind of get in 
get trying to avoid diet culture and um, everything that's kind of bombarded, you know, because the market, the, the industry in terms of like mums, you know, we are very much targeted around our body image. Um, and I do feel that we can do a lot in those very early weeks, you know, in terms of getting out for walks if we can, you know, getting out in nature, um, resting, you know, making sure you've got a good support system around you. And I know that's not always possible for a lot of women, um, but see if you've got friends that can help, you know, just, just to support you in those few weeks um, so that you aren't putting yourself at risk of injuring yourself, you know, after you've had a baby, you know, rest is important, but, you know, gentle movement is also important to help with your healing and your recovery. Um, you know, and also for your mental health as well, you know, getting out for walks in nature really, really helped me. Um, but I needed, you know, I needed like my husband to carry the baby and, you know, and not putting too much pressure, um, you know, on my pelvic floor. Um, so yeah, I definitely would recommend making sure they've got a support, good support system. Um, you know, rest, take it slow, you know, make sure your pain is well managed. I remember not taking paracetamol and ibuprofen in the middle of the night on my first night home. And oh my God, the next morning I was in agony. Um, so just make sure that you're setting alarms on your phone to make sure you're getting your pain relief regularly. Um, because there's, there's no medal for not having pain relief with stuff like this. And if you're in pain, then you're going to not move and no movement. It means restriction and restriction just means more pain down the line. So I definitely, definitely recommend taking pain relief and that might be oral medication, but it could also be heat pads, cool pads, you know, things like that. Um, I'm definitely, um, a massive advocate for just self-awareness in terms of, you know, just looking at your body, knowing what's normal for you, and then making sure there's no like changes like infection brewing um, in your wound site. So look, look at that area. And that can be really difficult for a lot of women, particularly if their birth has not been, um, uh, has not gone the way they wanted, you know, if they were hoping for a vaginal birth and then ended up with C-section to then go like, right, let's look after your C-section scar. You know, for them, that might be just a no-go area. You know, they need that time to heal mentally, not just physically, um, you know, before they can maybe start to do some self-care practices. Um, and I think holding space for women to feel those feelings um, without pushing them to to do that work if that makes sense in terms of self-massage and stuff but equally I do say to a lot of mums is that you know the self-massage and just exploring that area just gently can actually help to reconnect with that area um, so that it does help you to kind of come to um, some internal resolution with it if that makes sense it does but I, um, but I, I think but grief 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 is definitely a process we have to go through um, and it can come straight away or it can come months down the line. And um, and I remember, you know, with my first son, you know, I didn't really have much kind of reaction. Everyone seen me as quite positive. But I remember watching a TV programme with someone holding a really big baby in the background and I absolutely lost it. I just cried and cried and cried. But it just came up out of nowhere. And so I always say to mums, just don't be don't don't feel um, that you have to hide it or suppress it. You know, these things can come up and they can be triggered by anything. 
Um, and I think just having that awareness and that self-compassion when it does um, can be really helpful for you to heal after you've had your baby, physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And Emily, are you still working in the NHS? Because I just wondered if you could suggest, if you are, you know, ways that women can kind of access the support or if not, if it's going down the charity get help if you need it or even the private you know the private physios or going to see like a an osteopath who might be able to touch the skull for you rather than yourself but I don't know if you can speak on behalf of the NHS for what's out there Um, no so I don't work in the NHS um so I have my own private clinic um which is yeah online or in person but in terms of like I don't know if there is scar therapy I imagine that the physios um, that are within the NHS can um, can definitely advise on that. You know, I I hope they're assessing those scars. Um, I imagine they are, um, but um, but they might not have that time to be completely holistic. Um, you know, in terms of like depending on what symptoms you have, um, if you've got incontinence and things like that. So they might be focusing on that to start with, um, and then they might might have time to focus on the scar but I would say most of what I've seen in um, practice that scar therapy is very much something to be done privately Um, but equally I do you know I do do some workshops and I and I share that you know there's there's quite a lot of um, kind of free education out there there's a really good um, account called 360 mama um, who also do a lot of um, C-section scar education. They're amazing. Um, and, you know, I think in terms of if we're talking about scar therapy, there is a lot that we can do ourselves. Um, but I think it's it's just knowing, isn't it? And just making sure that we're not, um, uh, you know, I think to say to someone, oh, do it yourself. Um, but do you want me to just quickly go through some tips? I yeah. Can- Got time. Um, yeah, so um, so what I would say is, you know, making sure the wound is healed after you've had your surgery. Um, so that's when the scab um, has come off and you've got um, your scar has formed and, and, and the scar's gone. Uh, sorry, the scab has gone. Um, and then you can do some like light touching, um, you know, just small, like almost like you're touching your eyelid. So that sort of pressure that you would apply um, to the outside of the surface. And obviously we can start to get like different sensations. It might feel numb. Um, You know, you might get some tingling, like nerve type pain. Um, And I think just move like sort of doing gentle circular motions or up and down motions or along the length of the scar. Um, But again, you don't want to be super rough with it because you know, scarring isn't just the scar you see on the outside of your body. It's a bit like an iceberg. You've got the kind of the tip of the iceberg is kind of the external scar, but you've got lots of other scarring. You know, you've gone through several layers of um, of tissue, muscles, fascia to get to your baby. Um, so there's a lot of scarring that can happen in that area. So underneath the surface. And if we rush back into strenuous movement, lifting heavy movement, that you know, your body will want to kind of um, uh, lay down more scar tissue in order to keep everything as um, as secure as possible. So we don't risk that scar reopening. And so actually doing too much can have a negative impact on your scar while it's healing um, and actually lay down more scar tissue, which is not what we want um, long term. 
um, and can restrict your movements. Um, and then you kind of get compensatory um, movement patterns um, to, um, you know, which then can lead to like hip pain, back pain, you know, um, issues with prolapse because pelvic organs are being pulled by scar tissue, um, you know. And so, yeah, it's super important not just to massage the outside, but also not to overdo it in terms of movement um, in those early weeks um, to avoid, um, you know, excess scar tissue and adhesions um, forming. Um, and also just making sure that we don't get any infection. So um, I like to use Medi Honey, which is like a barrier cream with some honey in it, which is antimicrobial. And if you are someone who, um, like me, I've got a bit of an apron over the top of my C-section scar. So it does get, um, it was very hot in May this year and it definitely got very sweaty and hot and moist down there. So having something like a barrier cream, which helps to reduce any um, moisture loss from the scar tissue because it, again it's very mature cells that are formed so they do let a lot of um, water out of the scar so when you have a barrier cream it helps keep that moisture inside and also the microbial the antimicrobial properties can help reduce infection of that scar and all that itching the last thing I would probably say um, is well not last is with in regards to the wound is if you do find that you're someone who um, overheals so they build up lots of scar tissue naturally so if you get like keloid scars or it starts to look a bit really red and raised then I would definitely go and get that checked um, by your GP first um, but silicone pads are really useful um, because actually they do sometimes it can be your underwear is rubbing or your jeans or clothing is rubbing that scar so the silicone one helps give you like an occlusive barrier to help moisture loss it helps to keep the scar sort of down so it's using that um, silicone pad to compress the scar but it also reduces friction against other um, like your clothes and things and your underwear um, yeah so that's infection and then breath work and gentle movement in that first six weeks so our six-week check often we you know we're told don't do anything in those you know don't even lift anything and it's like well that's not the real world we've got to pick up a baby we're pushing buggies around we're lifting car seats out of the car you know so I think it's all about really doing that safely um and I think breath work just helps to massage our um you know really deep 360 breathing and I know you do a lot about this don't you Natalie um you know getting movement from the inside out that also helps us to reduce our um, our nervous system. So, you know, and I do believe our fascia and everything is very connected to our nervous system. So if we keep things nice and calm, get some gentle movement with our breath, getting some stretching, you know, moving our knees from side to side, you know, opening up our chest, sort of um, making sure we're not hunched over because that's I, I really struggle with that with breastfeeding with my second daughter and being hunched forward, we want to open up the front part of our body, you know, just getting up from the chair safely by using our breath. So exhaling on exertion, you know, making sure we're using our glutes rather than um, our glottis. So, um, you know, we're not closing off and going to get up, you know, we want to exhale on exertion. So I often say blow before you go, um, you know, that can really help to reduce any pressure down in the pelvic floor. It helps to keep our internal muscles kind of, it almost like allows that natural way to 
compress the um, our internal um, uh, sort of canister, if that makes sense, with our core muscles, it kind of coordinates it much better um, without sort of saying to women, oh, make sure you do pelvic floor exercises, because actually I found that really difficult after my second daughter, even though I'd done lots of pelvic floor stuff, I'd, you know, done lots of um, transverse abdominus exercises, I had real good connection, real good awareness, but when you have surgery in that area, a lot of stuff gets cut. <laughs> and so it's really hard. I found it really difficult to try and reconnect with that. So I think it's really important that if we can do practices that kind of help facilitate that, but we're not putting, you know, uh, too much pressure on us to feel what's happening. But I, I do believe that if we just do daily practices of like exhale on exertion, eventually all of that gets coordinated. And once you get to a certain point postpartum, then we can start focusing on honing in on you know um getting our core to work at the right time with exercises and stuff like that but all of this can happen in those first six weeks so i think that's really useful for women um in that postpartum period when they're feeling like oh i just really want to get back to doing stuff these are all amazing things that you can do for your body um in that six week period without doing strenuous exercises almost like the foundations really um, to you getting back to recovering and getting back to physical activity that you want to do. They were all, I mean, they're all just such amazing tips and you can really hear your passion, you know, coming through and all of your absolute wealth of knowledge. I feel like if someone was, <laughs> they've got, you know, a planned C-section coming up now, they'll just be completely sorted. I feel like you've covered absolutely everything. So that was amazing. Thank you. Emily, do you want to let people know where they can find you on Instagram and share all of your details? And then we will wrap up here so you I know you can get back to enjoying your holiday. Oh thank you. Yeah so um so my website is www.belively.co.uk. My Instagram handle is nurse underscore lively. Um and yeah if um I'm currently on uh, maternity leave so I am doing a bit of online stuff if anyone's got any questions by all means you can contact me or email me um, that's at hello at belively.co.uk if you've got any questions or you know if you are someone that's you know had a traumatic birth the first time weren't expecting to have any more children and then suddenly you are having another one and it all feels a bit too much then you know I think hopefully this story has helped you to realize that you do have the um the power within yourself to um to make sure that that journey um the second time round is um is is how you want it to be i think it, or at least putting steps in place to help you with that um and to get the outcome that you wanted um i definitely had such an amazing experience the second time round with the um with my gentle c-section um and and it is possible um to have yeah a better birth the second time round i think you've you know i think you sharing your story and you've been really open and honest with us and i think i'm i'm well i know that it will definitely help people listening so thank you so much emily for taking the time and to taking those moments off your family holiday i really appreciate okay. it go and enjoy your day oh thank you if you've enjoyed listening to the honest postnatal podcast today please leave a review and hit the subscribe button this way we can reach more women with honest postnatal stories
And if you'd like to message me, you can find me on Instagram at honestyogaldn.com.